Thought on the Supreme One, and I think that's really great, right? So we pluck and then we plant. That's the biblical method, right? We pluck and then we plant. Uh, so we've been working on the bad stuff and getting it out, and now we're going to work on the good stuff and allow Him to have residence and to be building up His Word within us. Amen? Uh, my sermon title today is The Key to Possessing Your Promised Land, and I wanted to hover a little bit uh, as we kind of wind up this series on Break Your Chains uh, on uh, what a key uh, the theme that we've had is to Possessing Your Promised Land. And just kind of visit that a little bit, reiterate some of the thoughts that we've been having and then I want to open again today at the end by inviting you to come forward and to receive deliverance. So uh, I, I, I really believe that this is a, a good time, a powerful time, a right time, a right season for us to be pressing in to getting free. And it's not just getting free from sin or addiction or some kind of a moral failure, but it's getting free from any kind of of uh, 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 stronghold, bondage, influence, uh, thought pattern, uh, emotion, or fear that's been plaguing, harassing, troubling us. Remember in the beginning of the series I talked about uh, some of these things don't, are, are not interrelated to our failures or our sins. Some of these things are interrelated to maybe family lineage, interrelated to uh, things we've experienced or trauma or emotional trials. And so there can be a lot of reasons for uh, the enemy to have a, a vulnerable spot that he's poking in your soul uh, and uh, harassing you a little bit and, and keeping you from a true victory and walking out the fullness. And, and what we've been sharing and expressing to you is that that when we come to the Lord, and even as we're receiving the Lord, uh, that we can't fully launch into the new creation life that Father has ordained for us, that He's prepared for us, uh, unless we strengthen ourselves in using the authority of Jesus to rebuke, to resist, to dismiss, to overcome the enemy. How many of you have been uh, following and just by, by show of hands, I know there's a few in the room, you've been following this kind of teaching for a moment or two, uh, uh, and you know that it works. Yeah, hands up everywhere. Come on. Isn't that good? So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm seeing some of you that have been walking with me for a good long time, and you know that it works. Let's, let's go over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to Actually, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. 7 or 6, where should I go? Let's go to 6, maybe. I know, I know, I know. We'll read a portion out of 6 and a portion out of 7. I've got way more Bible than we have time for this morning. But what I want to do, I want to read first a little bit about the promised land. What is the promised land? What was the promised land? And what is? Now you can say it promise or promised land, uh, but I want to focus on that. It was the land promised, okay? Uh, and this promise began with Abram when Abram was called out of his family 
of lineage, which was a pagan family. They didn't know Jehovah. They didn't know the one true God. Abraham, Abram was his name at that time. Uh, the last portion of his name was added. God added that to his name by adding the consonant of Jehovah himself to his name. That's how his name was changed. And there's a whole story there. He's called out of his family lineage. And uh, back when Joel did a, did a series on Genesis, she showed us how far he traversed, how far he traveled to get to the land God was bringing him to. And the land God was bringing him to was this fertile, and the Bible says actually it was like the land of Eden. So he was taking him out of maybe a harsh land, a desert land, and he was bringing him in, and on this great, uh, this great journey, he brought him to this land. And then when he got to the land, he said, lift up your eyes and look. And he's probably got him on kind of a little bit of a knoll, and he says, as far as you can see, this is the land that I'm giving to you and to your descendants. So that's when the promise began, and that's where we get the promised land, right? So then God visits Abraham with this promise, then Isaac, then Jacob. He continues to come to the sons, of which the sons of Abraham and Abraham we call the patriarchs. He continues to come to them, reiterating that I've promised you a land. I've promised you you a land. I'm going to give you a land. Now, when he brought him to this land, this land that he lifted up his eyes and he saw, this land was then inhabited by enemies of God, those that didn't know God. And at that time, God was choosing that he would give it to Abraham. He's, he's making a covenant with Abram, whom he'll change his name, and he is going to bring out of the loins of Abraham, which will be out of Isaac, the miracle son, the, Israel, the Israelites, the Jewish people, and, and, and then out of those uh, people, he will bring the Messiah. He will bring the Christ, okay? So this whole thing carries this parallel picture, though, and so I want to pick up uh, where we see him describing a little bit of this land. This is Deuteronomy. Now, this is Moses writing Deuteronomy, and Abraham is off the scene. And so now this is some years later, uh, this, is, this is Moses writing, uh, and we might say this is at least 400 years later because uh, when, when Jacob came along, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then they, you know, they went down through Joseph to Egypt. They were delivered out of Egypt, but the word was that you're going to sojourn in Egypt for about 400 years, then you're going to be brought out of Egypt, and you're going to go in and possess this land that was promised. You're finally going to go and possess the land because it said, because God said at that point, uh, the sin of the people in that land that I promised you is going to be at such a high level that uh, they're going to be judged by your possessing them. There's a parallel there too. The, the, the demons, the spiritual powers that are keeping you from your promised land, uh, God wants to judge them. When you overcome them, it's God judging them. When you expel them, it's God judging them. So it says there that it says that the sin of the Amorites and these seven nations that are in the promised land uh, will come to such a point where God's going to judge them. You're going to be the instruments of his judgment. Okay? So let's read about the land a little bit. Deuteronomy chapter 6. You okay? 
Uh, uh, Deuteronomy 6.10. When the Lord brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then you will eat and then... Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So here he's describing the land, by the way. And this is a different kind of land. Uh, I want you, to, want you to realize that when they wandered in the wilderness for a period, they came out of Egypt, then they wandered in the wilderness. When they wandered in the wilderness for a period, uh, it says that their, their clothing didn't wear out and God provided for them uh, two kinds of food. Uh, uh, would you get bored with two kinds of food? Yeah, don't go to Taco Bell because they just have seven ingredients that they use over and over again, right? Remember that? So, but nonetheless, two kinds of food. It's supposed to be funny. Quail and manna. Everyday quail and manna. Everyday quail and manna, right? So their clothes didn't wear out as they're out in the wilderness, but it's called a wilderness. And the the symbolism of the wilderness is that uh, that, they, that they just continued in the same routine. Uh, that they had just enough, but not more than enough. The symbolism of the promised land is that they're going into a land of opportunity. They're going into a land of plenty. They're going into a land where they can mine copper and gold out of the hills. They're going into a land where there's sufficiency. They're, they're going into a land where there's creativity. They're, they're going into a land where the diets change from two items to much more. So this is the picture of the promised land. And, and it's interesting, you know, God's actually appealing to them to go in. Go into the promised land. He's actually appealing to them to be his instruments of overcoming the demonic powers that were then ruling over that particular territory. So God wants to give it to them, and they're going to be his instruments of warfare to dismiss, to dispossess the demonic powers, and to see and to walk in the victory and the taste of the blessing. It's interesting, you know, God, I think God does the same thing with you. He wants to tell you there's a promised land for you. There's something better for you. And it's not a bad deal if he is waving a carrot out here of blessing. That's not a bad deal. Now, some religious folks are going to tell you that is a bad deal, but that is not a bad deal. That God, would, that God would attach blessing to righteousness, that he would attach blessing to godliness, that he would attach blessing to sanctification, that he would attach blessing to following him. That's not a bad thing. And so God does this with them, and he's doing this with us as well. Is that all right? Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. When the Lord brings you into the land you're entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Parasites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. By the way, the demons that harass you and harm you and, and mess with you and seduce you and, uh, and want, to, want to have their way with you, they're stronger than you, but you have a stronger one that you are now married to, knit to, and through that stronger one, you can overcome. Come on, somebody. 
And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them. Show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. This is what you're to do to them. Break down their altars, smash down their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles, burn their idols in the fire, for you're a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Verse 17, if you say to yourself, these nations are stronger than we are, how can we drive them out? If you say to yourself, Christian, at any point, these spirits, these demons, these temptations, these, these troubles are too strong for me. They're bigger than me. How can I possibly drive them out? Don't say that, church. Don't say that. Do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. You, are, you saw with your own eyes the great trials, the signs and the wonders, the mighty hand, the outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you now fear. The Lord your God will send a hornet among them until even the survivors who hide from you have perished. Do not be terrified from for, by them, for the Lord your God who is among you is great and an awesome God. Now, now this is all metaphor right now. This for them was a true and a real story, but for you it's a metaphor of your walk with God right now, of your new creation life, of the walk that you have before the Lord. This story in the Old Testament that actually happened is now meant to be a picture of what's happening with you right now, that you are to drive the enemy out of your territory, of your soul, of your inner man, and not only out of your inner man, but out of your family, and out of your family line, and out of the things wherein you are an influence in business, in the marketplace, or anywhere you go, the power of the Lord is meant to be expressed in you and through you with victory over all of the enemies of Jesus. Now, why the enemies of Jesus? Because he is the supreme man who represents you, who's now given you an audience with Father, who's made you a new creation. And if there's an enemy of Jesus in his manhood, not his divinity, if there's an enemy of Jesus, then that enemy is an enemy of yours. That enemy is an enemy of yours. And even his father said to Jesus, sit here at my right hand as I subdue and watch me subdue and until I subdue all of your enemies and put them under your feet, we are those who are the feet of Jesus. We are that one body with him. And father is putting and has pledged to put our enemies under our feet. And so never, never, never do we say, oh, this is too big for me. Never do we say, oh, we can't do this. Oh, never do we say, oh, this, this one over here, this one here, I can't conquer that one. You can. You can. You have a partnership with the divine one. And even when you're feeling unholy, guess what? You're knit to holy. Even when you're feeling unsanctified, you're knit to sanctified. Even when you're feeling unrestored, you're knit to restored. 
His name just isn't Jesus. His name is holy. His name is sanctified. His name is blameless. His name is supreme. His name is victorious. You're knit to him. You're one with him. So if something, if a spirit is an enemy of Jesus, it's an enemy to you as well. And we're talking really today, I want to just keep emphasizing this divine partnership you have with Jesus. You have a crazy divine partnership with Jesus. He has pledged himself to defeat your enemies. Father has pledged to defeat your enemies in this divine partnership. Is this all right? Verse 22 of this passage is good. The Lord your God will drive out these nations before you little by little. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once or the wild animals or multiply, uh, will multiply around you. But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you, throwing them into a great confusion until they're destroyed. He will give their kings into your hand and you will wipe out their names from under heaven. No one will be able to stand up against you. You will destroy them. Now listen, that's the way it is with us too. This is metaphor. You aren't going to get every victory in one day. And don't let somebody come along and tell you you're fully delivered. No, they don't know a thing about warfare. They don't know a thing about demons. You're not fully delivered. There's probably not a person in this room fully delivered. That's deception. If you believe for a moment you're fully delivered, you're going to stop fighting. You're going to stop fighting, or you'll start fighting the wrong thing. You'll start fighting the voice of, I'm no good, instead of the enemy's no good. No, God has made you good in Christ. It's the enemy that's no good. Never stop fighting. Never stop fighting. And don't come under this delusion thinking that you've arrived at some fully delivered position. You're getting delivered. He's driving them out progressively. And the more he drives you, them out with the cooperation of your voice and your agreement and your rebuke, the two of you becoming one in rebuke, then the more you will possess your promised land. You've been given a territory as everyone one of those tribes were given a territory and they were not to allow anything. Imagine, and you know, you've read the stories, how this happened. Imagine some of them coming into territories and, and trying to make treaties. You ever, you ever tried to make a treaty with a demon? I, I mean, I know this is hard for you to imagine, but imagine the Girgashites or the Amorites or any of these guys. Uh, they're moving into the territory allotted to them and they actually have a, a surveyed territory. Benjamin, you get this. Levite, you get this. Dan, you get this. Asher, you get this. All of the 12 tribes, they all had a surveyable territory given to them. And they were to go in and conquer the cities in those territories. Imagine coming in and, and you, you walk up and these guys have like barbs on their arms. Right? And some of them are like seven foot two. And they've got pokey things coming out of their nose. And they've got scales on their backs. And okay, I'm messing with you. But listen, that's how demonized these people were. You have to realize that's how demonized these people were. They were violent. They didn't care about killing people whatsoever. They would take you out at a net. I'm just, you know, just a, just a, like winking to you is just killing somebody to them. These were demonized people. 
the, the 12 tribes were not to go in and possess the land until these people had become their cooperation with the demonic had come to full measure, the Bible says. So we're, we're to go in, and they've got giants, and we're going to go in, and, and we're just supposed to, like, you know, make, make agreements with just allow them to stay here with us. I wonder if they'll just let us hang out over here. We, maybe we could put in a trailer, a trailer park over here and just kind of share, sh share, sh share, share the property with them. And, and I heard there's, like, some gold, some gold mines up uh, uh, some of the streams. And I, I, I wonder if we could, you know, I mean, we don't want all the gold. We just want a little bit of the gold. But I, I wonder if we could just har 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 harvest a hair of the gold, you know, and just, I mean, we could just share this with them. And it's just, you ever tried to share something with the demon spirit? It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work to compromise. It doesn't work to yield. It doesn't work to come up. And this is the illustration. This is what we're supposed to see in this, is that when they went in to take their surveyed portion, their allotment, they were to completely overthrow, drive out, smash, and demolish everything that pertained to those that were fully demonized living in that beautiful land. That's what you're supposed to do in your own soul. Tolerate nothing. Tolerate nothing. Tolerate nothing. Tolerate nothing that's unclean. Tolerate nothing that is impure. Tolerate nothing that is of sickness, of disease, of fear of hatred, of anger, of bitterness, of frustration, of doubt, of unbelief. Tolerate nothing that is of weakness and discouragement and negativity. Tolerate nothing that is of depression or suicide. Tolerate nothing. Tolerate nothing. Tolerate nothing. See those enemies as something ugly, something something malformed and malicious, something these are not your friends. These are not your friends. Impatience is not your friend. Short-suffering is not your friend. Long-suffering is. What is your promised land? What's your promised land? You might not even know what your promised land fully looks like, but you might have an inkling that there is one for you, right? It might mean a marriage that works really well. It might mean a vocational expression that's working really well. It might mean a couple dollars in the bank so that you could actually not only pay your bills but give some money away when you, when you desire. What, what's your promised land look like? What does it look like? You, you might actually need to go home and do what God said to Abram, lift up your eyes. See, when you get your eyes down in your circumstances and you get your eyes down here in all of the press and all of the struggle and all of the pressure and everything that's going on, sometimes you don't take the time to lift up your eyes and to see what your promised land is. And so he says to Abram from this point, he says, come on up here, and when you get up here, I want you to lift up your eyes and I want you to look around. Uh, you gotta, you got to get something going on in the realm of vision because right now you're you're fighting so hard, and you're, and you're feeling the struggle, and, and, and in the midst of it, you're feeling some of that worthlessness and failure and discouragement, and so you're not seeing, you're not seeing that there's a promised land for you. You haven't identified it, and maybe a lot of religious folks have come along and told you there isn't one, because that's been religion from 
you know, day one is that we've heard that, that, that your promised land is, is on the other side of this life. So if, so if you've bought that one, uh, if you've bought that one, that your promised land is on the other side of this life, uh, then it's, it's going to produce a lot of hardship and struggle and toil that's unnecessary in God on this side. What is your promised land? To Israel, it was a land of milk and honey, a land of springs, a land of plenty, a land of opportunity, a land of mine, a land of more than two foods. Can you believe that God is so crazy he cares about your, your, uh, your, your olfactory glands and your taste buds? Who do you think put those, who, who, do you, who gave those to you, right? Okay. And you would think, and, and here, you know, you would think too, you, you heard me talk about this last week, uh, and I'm hurrying, I'm rushing. Uh, but you heard, you heard me talk last week about, you would think, uh, because this is what we've thought, you would think that when they crossed the Jordan, this is Joshua chapter 3. When they crossed the Jordan to go in to the promised land, uh, you would think that, uh, that with, with everything God promised, all of the enemies would have just fled from the cities and the territories as they approached. Isn't that, isn't that what you've been told about your Christian life? Just come into Jesus and everything's going to be amazing. Give your life to the Lord. Every demon that ever was will flee from you like a race car at Seattle International Raceway. You would think that. Listen, listen. This is so amazing. Joshua chapter 3, verse 15. Now the Jordan overflows its banks through throughout the harvest season, but as soon as the priest carrying the ark reached the Jordan. This is when they were going to go in. This is when they crossed. This is when they crossed into the promised land. Remember this? How many of you remember the story? They're crossing into the promised land. This is after years and years of promise, right? And so Moses fades off the scene. The law couldn't take them in. Joshua the same name as Jesus, by the way. Joshua is Hebrew for Jesus in the Greek. You knew that. Only Jesus can take you in. Joshua, captain of salvation, brings them up to the Jordan River. It's at flood stage. The priests put their feet in the Jordan River. The Jordan River parts, right? And, and listen, and, so, and who's leading them? Joshua, Jesus is leading them. The captain of salvation is leading them in. It's a metaphor for you, for me. As soon as the priest carrying the ark reached the Jordan and her feet touched the water's edge, the flowing water stood still and it backed up and it backed up. And it, I, I know you've heard me say this before, but it just thrills me so much. I go crazy over it. it. It backed up as far upstream as Adam, a city in the area of Zarethan. Did you just hear that? The Jordan which was separating them from their promised land, as soon as they touched the water with Joshua, the captain of salvation, it backs up all the way to 
a city called Adam. This is a picture of what God does for us in Jesus is that the curse, the, the flood stage, the separation that's keeping us from our promised land is backed up all the way to Adam. Okay? But, 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 so they cross over, but as they cross over, the thousands upon thousands in Jericho didn't pack their backpacks, run to Walmart, get some water, and flee the city on the other side. No, they got up on the wall and said, how dare you? Don't you dare come here. And you'll see that city after city after city, they still had to follow the direction of the Lord. They still had to obey. They still had to walk it out. They still had to move in. They still had to have plans. They had strategies. Sometimes they had strategies. Like they would pray, and they would consult the prophets, and then they would route the cell. Okay, okay, we're going to go around. We're going to set up an ambushment. We're going to come this way, and then as we come this way, it'll draw them out. You guys are going to ambush the city from the backside. Hold it! We had a thousand verses on how I'm going to do this for you. God said, I'm going to to drive them out. I'm going to drive them out. I'm going to send hornets and angels. I'm going to drive them out and just be strong and be courageous. How come we have to do anything? Because this is the divine partnership. He's driving them out through you. He's driving them out through you. It is a divine partnership. It's always been that way. It's meant to be that way. It's not going to be a different way. And as long as we're in this dispensation of time, the Lord is training you for reigning. He's raising you up in strength. He's teaching you to do battle. He's showing you the power in you is sufficient to overcome the enemy. That greater is he that's in you than he that taunts you on the outside or within and that anything that is withstanding him can be driven out. But it's a divine partnership. It's a divine partnership. Come on, everybody say partnership. Remember last week we talked out of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, about the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, it's a double-edged sword. And remember what Brian brought out to us. That word double-edged sword in the Greek actually means, one of the renderings of that meaning is a double-mouthed sword. When we look at Ephesians chapter 6, we see we take up the sword of the Spirit. What are you supposed to do with the sword of the Spirit? Take up. Take up. Engage. Engage the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So when you, when you are fighting, when you are confronting, when you are rebuking, when you are pressing the enemy out, the power of the Lord is present to do the same. What's that mean? That means when you aren't, He isn't. What if they would have just said, well, uh, <laughs> what if Dan, what if Asher, <laughs> what, if any, what if any one of those tribes would have just said, uh, well, uh, we're, we're, we're just going to stay here on the border until we hear, until we get word that the, that the enemy's gone. That's what we're going to do. We're just going to hang out here on the border. 
We're going to come right up to our surveyed line. This is our territory. This is, this is what they marked out for us. Uh, but we're just going to hang out here on, this, on the line, and we'll send in spies. And just when they've finally left, that's when we'll go in and possess our abundance, our increase, our, our opportunity, our houses, our farms, our, what God has for us. Let us know. Are they gone yet? We're just going to camp here. Those people are called campers. Now, there's quitters and campers, and then there's climbers. You know what God's called you to be is climbers. He called you to be overcomers. And so as you go in, or as you confront, as you rebuke, as you resist, the power of the Lord is on your voice. The power of the Lord, the rebuke of the Lord is on your rebuke. And ask the band to come and help us. What if Adam and Eve would have rebuked the serpent? What if they would have rebuked the serpent? Did you know that that was what they were supposed to do? Did you know when Jesus rebuked the demonic realm, he was actually doing what Adam and Eve were supposed to do. See, see what we see with Jesus when the enemy comes with an appeal, when the enemy comes with deception, when the enemy comes with a half-truth, when the enemy comes with an analysis of the situation that contradicts God's, uh, when the enemy comes like that, uh, Adam and Eve, they were supposed to rebuke. They were supposed to say no. They were supposed to say go. They were supposed to say get. They were supposed to say out. They were supposed to say uh-uh. Right? And Jesus, Jesus did those things because he was the second Adam. He was, he was the second Adam. He, he, so what he was modeling in rebuking the enemy was actually what Adam was supposed to do in the first place. It wasn't just because he's amazing and, and he was just showing off his power and, and, we, and now we, you know, we, just, oh, we just think he's amazing and oh my goodness and, and, and Jesus, Jesus could do that because that's Jesus. No, 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 no. Jesus was rebuking the enemy as the second Adam. Because that's what the first Adam was supposed to do, and he failed to do. And now you, you are in this one. You are hidden. You are redeemed. You are made one with this one who is the last Adam. No other Adam needed. Let's stand this morning. No other Adam needed. And your victory comes 
They would have had no victory in the promised land. They would have never possessed the promised land. They could have lifted up their eyes. They could have seen it. They could have heard about it. They could have read about it. But if they would have never confronted their enemies, if they would have never driven, and I love it that the Bible used drive. The Old Testament, it's weird. It's crazy. It uses the word drive. Drive them out. Drive them out. Drive them out. Drive them out. Same exact word Jesus uses for what we're supposed to do to the demonic realm that's harassing us, sabotaging us, harming us, lying to us, putting a lid on our life, stealing from us, keeping us from our promised land. We're, we're, he uses the same exact word, we're to drive them out. It's ekbalo, ekbalo. Cast them out, drive them out, push them out, resist them, resist them, resist them. And to me, it's sad how many Christians have actually seen their promised land. They actually got their eyes lifted up, they were able to see it, but they never came into it because they were waiting for God to drive out the enemy without their partnership without their partnership so they saw it from afar but they never got to enjoy it and now they've built theologies about how it's not for you today oh yeah yeah don't shape your theology by your circumstance keep shaping your circumstance with your theology drive the enemy out drive the enemy out and that's the prayer team to come. Those that serve as mentors with the Recover Life, Restored Life Ministry. Those who serve on the prophetic team, elders, various ones. Just come and just prepare yourself to pray for people. Those of you that are on the prayer team. You on the prayer team especially, just, just, you, you just might have that heightened sense that, that the Lord's going to use you this morning. And then body members, just come, just come, just come. Any small thing, any big thing, any little thing, any any private thing, any there's total confidentiality by the way at these altars. And so as we leave and just worship, it could be a fear, it could be a bitterness, it could be a sorrow, it, it could be self-pity, it could be self-loathing, it could be discouragement, it could be an addictive seduction. It could be negativity, it could be dishonor, it could be anger, it could be sickness, it could be illness. Whatever it is, just come, just come, just come. Just come and receive prayer. Receive prayer. Receive prayer. This is our victory. This is our victory. This is a key to getting into our promised land. We're going to join ourselves against our enemies. This is what they did when they went in to possess the land. Sometimes Dan would say to Asher, I need you to come fight for me. Sometimes Levi would say to Aaron, I need you to come fight for me. The tribes would join themselves together. They would join themselves together and they would, they would fight for one another. They would fight for one another. This is what we're doing in prayer. At these altars and in this kind of ministry, we're fighting for one another. We're fighting in prayer. We're coming together. We're joining arms. We're just saying, no more. No more will we let 
this almost no more will we let this rage against us no more no more no more come on standing right where you're at just push anything out that is not of the lord anything out that's not of the lord oh we renounce it we renounce it we say to the demonic it has to go we say to those things attached to carnality, they have to go. We say to those things troubling us, they have to go. We say to any seductive pattern tied to the sinful nature, it has to go. We say to fears, we say to inappropriate emotions, they have to go. Oh, the enemy has to go. Jesus drives you out. Jesus drives you out. Jesus drives you out. Jesus drives you out. We rebuke you. We bring, we bring a rebuke against that which harasses, that which torments, that which puts upon us a false identity. You that are of a false identity, you, you that are not submitted to Jesus, you're not submitted to us and our holiness in Jesus. You're not submitted to our holiness in Jesus. You have to go. You have to go, you have to go, you have to go, you have to go. Trouble in the personality has to go. Trouble in the personality has to go. Emotional dysfunction has to go. Contradictions to self-control have to go. They have to go, they have to go. Leave us alone. Leave us alone, leave us alone, leave us alone, leave us alone. Oh, you harassing our family, you have to go. We rebuke you that are standing against the health, the health, the growth, the strength, the development of righteousness in our family. We say you have to go. Leave our family members alone. Leave our family members alone. Leave our spouses alone. Leave our children alone. Jesus drives you out. We rebuke you. We stand in him and we rebuke you. We stand in Jesus rebuke you. It's our place to dismiss the demonic. It is our place to dismiss, to overthrow, to demolish the demonic. We smash your altars. We smash your sayings. We smash your influence. We smash your testimony. We smash your lying and accusations. Condemnation has to go. Condemnation has to go. Worthlessness has to go. Oh, the Lord rebuke you. Get out of my soul. Get out of my soul. Get out of my soul. Condemnation has to go. Condemnation has to go. You'll not triumph over me. You'll not triumph over me. 